When Arsenal lose, I'm always happy. It makes my day. When we win and Arsenal yeah. lose, especially in the Premier League, it's a very strange thing. So, yeah, so you boys won today, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Elion Censored podcast. Um, we're fresh off a resounding United victory, oh. so good moods all oh. around. Oh, it hurts me to say that United playing well. It hurts me when I hear that terminology. <laughs> oh, well, you might have to get used to it. I'm not saying that we're back, but we're on the way. We're on the way. Keep keep yeah. watch. Today's episode is about transfer windows. So, Uncle Leslie, what do you think about this summer's transfer window? Was there anything you saw that you liked? What, what, you know what I find amazing? That how football sits outside yep. the rest of the world. That just under £2 billion has been spent in this transfer window. You know, some people, it's, it's an incredible amount of money. Given the fact that where we are, in a period when people are talking about there's an energy crisis and everything else that's going on in the UK, one of the things that football astonishes me at that how much money has been spent in this window and you've got two clubs in particular Chelsea with their new management taking over who spent in excess of 215 million and you've got United your team have similarly spent an incredible amount of money spent so for me it, it astonishes me how much money that's been spent I look at it in two ways I look at teams that have spent money what I would call in an organised way and teams that spent money in a slightly chaotic way. And I think if, if I look at the teams, that, you know, one of the questions I know you want to ask, we want to talk about is who have been successful in this, in this transfer window. Um, clearly for me, the outstanding team that have been successful in this window have been Manchester City. They've, they've targeted players who would complete their team in Haaland. Oleg Haaland is, is outstanding and he's coming in and done the business. You know, they, that, that, that demonstrates a team that recognises its weakness. Like last su summer, they were trying to go and get from us. They wanted to go and get Harry Kane and they didn't get him for whatever reasons, but that's another set of stories. But... You know, they have, they have done good business. I think there is a number of teams we can talk about who I think I, I, we, have, we have to discuss. That's what I can say, we have to discuss. The part of the problem with football, professional football is that people who run football teams don't... People who own football teams have all made money running businesses. Then all of a sudden, when they start running football teams, the common sense that they apply to running business goes out of the window when they run football teams. There's an irrationality to it. You know, and that, that's a bit I find surprising. Anyway, we can, we can go more into that. So the first step, you asked me the question, what, have I, what I found interesting is how much money that's been spent in this transfer window. What about you? What are your thoughts? That's a good point you make. I look at it from that perspective. It makes you think about clubs like Barcelona who are taking out future earnings potentially to fund this year's window and it goes back to what you said how in difficult times clubs are still 
finding ways to spend loads of money. Which they don't have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, especially in Barcelona's case, money definitely yeah. don't have. And it is it is a risky let's call it a risky investment decision. Let's be professional about it. I will tell you one thing though. I really liked PSG's transfer window. They they went away from the usual model of throw money at big players regardless of team fit. There's one name that really made a difference to the window. I think Luis Campos as director of football. That's why I think United really messed up. We focused on getting a manager, getting in, trying to get his players, but we brought in John Murto, who's not really got that any mm. kind of experience. And Luis Campos is a guy who he discovered the likes of Renato Sanchez for Leo. I think he started off at Sevilla. Uh, well, I can't remember mm. who where he started off, but he's really good at spotting young talent. And with PSG, signing some that he's made. Nodi Mukiele, Fabian Ruiz, Renato Sanchez. He's got in these young guys, well, maybe not Fabian Ruiz, but he's brought in good players with the right attitude into that PSG team. And he's not paid exorbitant prices for any of them. I think most expensive is probably Fabian Ruiz for 25, 30 million mm. euros. And that's a guy who starts for Spain. You think about it and you realize this guy is building a proper team now. Because that's been the issue with PSG past few years. It's why they don't really get too far in Champions League. They don't have players with that mentality. There's, they rely too much on talent and nothing else. And so bringing in these guys, it's been a good window for them. I, I mean, I'm, I'm more focused on what's going on in the Premiership. And that's whatever that's going around in Europe. Yep. And I think... I like what, for example, Newcastle have done. I like the approach that they've taken. Rather than, they are recognising they've got a long-term plan to build a team. And what they've done is, they, yeah, they've brought one or two players, like this guy, Alexander Isak, who they brought in. They're building their team slowly. You know? And I think they've recognised, they understand yeah. that this is not a short-term success. What you need to do is you need to sort of build, you need to create a culture, well, I've talked about this before, you create an organization and you fit players into that. So it's why I think, I quite like what Newcastle have done. I thought the game, that what I saw when they played, uh, even though they lost when they played Liverpool, I thought they played really good football. I liked the way they played. You know, really good team. And for me, they, they looked a good team. I, I, I'm very concerned for a team like Nottingham Forest, which have bought lots of players. They bought 21 players. Now, how do you think you're going to create a team, a team environment? How do you know the type of football you're going to play yeah. when you've got so many new players? I mean, they've had like 21 new players come in and something like 30 odd players go out. That, yeah. You know, it's, it's back to what I said. Organisations that people who made money and then start to run football teams, it's like the common sense which applies to running a business goes out of the window when they start looking at football teams. And it's why I think, to me, Knott's Forest are going to go down. 
You know, they're, they're clearly going to go down. You can't bring in so many new players and expect to stay up because you don't have a culture. You don't have a common fit. You don't have a style of play. You're doing it on the fly. Teams like that are never going to be successful. You need to have a way of playing. You know, so what got them out of the, of the first division, ain't, you know, which is I understand people are saying, well, what goes out of the first division is not going to fly in the premiership. But you need a core basis of how you're going to play football. And Notts Forest aren't going to do it with 21 new players. Well, you beat me to the punch there. My next question yeah. was, whose window did you dislike? And Nottingham Forest was one of the two teams on the, on my list. Who's your, who's your other team? Leicester. I think they're in deep trouble. For one, they sold Schmeichel, or he wanted to leave. That's your first team keeper. That's your captain, leader of the team. They haven't replaced him. Donny Ward, clearly not good enough. You sold for Fana, fine. But then, you know, you look at the centre-back options. Soyuncu, the likes of Soyuncu, uh, Vestergaard, Amate, those aren't... They aren't inspiring. Midfield, I like the midfield in certain areas with um, Ndidi, Dewsbury Hall, Madison and Barnes. They've still got, they've got players like Ayuzi Perez, um, Albrighton's still there. Patson Dakar, Dennis Pratt. Tillemans is going to leave on a free mm. next year, probably. Uh, they could have sold him for s- something this year, but decided not to. And you worry about how they're going to improve. Um, I spoke to one of my colleagues who's a Leicester fan, and apparently the club is in, the owners are in a bit of financial difficulty. And so for them, it's about staying in Premier League and selling players and hopefully finding a way to improve their mm. finances from there. So you worry quite a bit about them, especially after the window they've had and the start to the season yeah. they've had as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I know they're owned by a Thai family. I remember we went to Thailand a couple of years ago and as soon as you arrived in Bangkok, you were seeing Leicester City... Um, paraphernalia in terms of football kit everywhere at Bangkok Airport. Uh, I know that the original owner had died because he died in that, in that, uh, that helicopter crash. So I, I'm, I, I, it does concern me yeah. whether that the new other members of the family still, whether they're as committed to football as the original person. I don't know the guy's name. But uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. My other concern for, Les, for Leicester, funny enough, is to do with Bardi. I don't know whether, because of his, the issues with his wife and what's gone on there with her and the whole affair that's taken place there, how much that's impacted him. Because there's been a lot of talk, in a, in a, not in the football press, but in the, in the more general press in the UK, that, you know, that she wants to go to America. Therefore, she's pushing her husband to go to America. As such... I wonder how much Vardy's committed to playing for Leicester City. Now, I'm sure he wants to play for Leicester City, but if you've got this thing in the back of your mind where your wife is saying, we need to be doing this, we need to be doing that, that's bound to have a little bit of mm, influence in terms of what's going on in Vardy's life and his performance on the pitch. It's natural. you know. If, you're having, if things are going yeah. on at home where your wife is trying to encourage you to move to another club, there may be issues there. 
So I, I do think Leicester, you're right. I think Leicester have, are a probably big concerns to me, both externally for in terms of management perspective and also from their key players' perspective. I mean, where's Di Fofana is coming out and making comments about how, what's been going on. Brendan Rodgers have been having a go in the press about the management. All these things are not good for Leicester, despite the fact they've got good players. So, so I have to be honest, in my head, I, I, you know, we'll see where Leicester go. I mean, Leicester have got a good, actually got a good players. Not Spurs, to me, are favourites to go down. And I don't think they've had a good... They bought too many players. You can't go into a transfer window and buy 21 plus 20 or 22 players. It, it just doesn't work. You know, what you will, I think what we'll find with, with Knott's Forest is there'll, there'll be all the energy of the first five or six games, you know, and then what you'll find is over, over the next, between games five and to, game, to games 15, they're going to be rubbish because they're not going to know who they are. They're not going to have any real understanding of what their identity is and how they play, and they're going to get beat. And it's just the way it's going to work. You know, they're going to be like Derby County of a few years ago. I would not be surprised if come Christmas, we, and I will say this, if, if I don't think come Christmas, Notts Forest will have 15 points. Wow. That's big. That's big. Yeah, yeah. I don't really? think they have 15 points. And if they have more than 15 points, they have a chance of staying up. But I don't think they will. So as a transfer window in my head, okay. they've had the poor okay. transfer window. Who else for you? So the, my two teams with the worst transfer windows are Notts Forest and Leicester City. I agree with you completely. Yeah, good. Right, so what do you think about the other two promoted teams, Bournemouth and Fulham? Fulham, to me, have tried to keep their identity. Sim Fulham have tried to keep their identity because they went up went down, and a bit similar to Bournemouth, but I think they've recognised that if they keep their identity of what got them there, let's say we just want to improve upon that play. And Mitrovic is a good striker, and I think they have a chance of staying up. Bournemouth, mm. I was so disappointed in them. I think the manager, when he came out, after them losing 9-0 at Leicester, what do you think about them losing 9-0 at Liverpool? What, what the manager said. What's your thoughts? What did he say? I haven't listened to that. Basically, he came out and said that the team wasn't good enough. And, you know, he lost the dressing room. I mean, to be honest, he had to be sacked. I find that footballers who become managers lack understanding of basic management skills. You know, it's there's there's a very there's a great terminology that's used, fake it to make it. In other words, despite how well, if even if you were in management and your team's not performing well, and the you know you don't tell you don't really criticize them publicly. What you want to do is you want to encourage them to give them a chance to sort of. If you perform badly, you just say say, okay, that's a one off. Let's put that down. Let's learn from it. Let's take lessons learned and move on from it. And some of these guys, like Scott, what Scott Parker did, he basically, he slammed his own team. We were not good enough. We're, you know, 
You can't say that. These guys in football have, have not learned. They go into management, of football management, without having any understanding of management skills. And what they need to do, and, and they're they, they ex-professional footballers, they've got some understanding of how to kick a ball, but don't, a lot of these guys don't understand how to manage people. And there's a core bit they don't understand. And Scott Parker immediately, immediately loses his football dressing room. You know, I, I was listening to watching BBC Match of the Day, and Ashley Walker said he had to be sacked because no player is going to respect a manager who says, you're incompetent. If you're telling your football players you're rubbish, well, how are they ever going to trust you? You don't ever say that. One of the great things about Mourinho and people and good managers in the past, they create a mentality. It's like it's that us against the world. They create that mentality whereby it, it engenders the belief that, okay, we may have performed badly, but you know what? Some, they're picking on us. And therefore, we pick on something and let's consolidate against it. So therefore, we can now fight against it. And Scott Parker just didn't understand that. He, he's not a good manager, sadly for me to say, because of an ex-Tottenham ex -Tottenham player. But the, the comments he came out with were very, very poor, sadly. That's an interesting take. My view on this is, I think he is right in that his squad is not good enough. Maybe he shouldn't have said it out loud. But I believe Bournemouth is going to go down as well. That transfer window was not, was not great, let's put it. That's putting yeah, it lightly. Agreed. agreed. Really wasn't very good. Um I don't even know who they signed. And that that Hang says on, a lot. Yeah. I've got the list here somewhere. Hang on, let me tell you who they signed. But I mean they, yeah, let me go and find out who they who they bought. Yeah, yeah. So Bournemouth bought Tavernaf from Middlesbrough for ten million. Marcus Sensei from Fionov Undisclosed, Neta from Barcelona free, Ryan Fredish from West Ham free, John Rothwell from Blackburn free, and Jack Stevens, Southampton loan. Nobody, you know, okay, Marcus Tavner from Middlesbrough. So Middlesbrough were a first division club. They, they got somebody from Feyenoord and somebody from Neto from Barcelona. They bought nobody of, you know, any yeah. real capability. Nobody. And when you do that, you know, yeah, no. It's, you can't say what he said. I mean, I understand what he, why he said it, but he's basically saying, you've not backed me. I've got you back into the premiership, so give me some money. No. You know what? He's, he's, he's slagging off his manner. He's slagging off the owners. That's fine. But you don't do it in that way, okay? Because you lose your dressing room. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you don't, to me, it's simple. If you don't want to manage a football team, just walk away. If they don't give you the money, walk away. Don't start slagging people off because you're part of the process. And that's the part of the problem with some of these managers. They get in there. We get the same thing right now with, with Brendan Rodgers at Leicester City. He's starting having a go at Leicester City owners. You know what? If you're unhappy, walk away. It's different from the players who are contracted to it. You as a manager, if, you don't ha if you're not happy with what's taking place, you have the ability to walk away. And that's what doesn't happen in football. I find it very, very interesting. So you've got players, who, you've got managers 
he will have a go, and basically they want to be sacked. And that's what's taking place. That's what's taking place with some of these managers. They just want to be sacked. So therefore, it gives them the ability to go and get some more money from, what's that, from, their, from their owners. You know what? And, and that's very sad. So that's my view. Yep, I get what you're saying entirely. Um, it's, it's a difficult situation with them. And clearly, the team hasn't backed him well enough. No. If we're being honest, because no. you mentioned the signings, none of them is really going to inspire confidence. No. Ideally, with promoted clubs, there are three to four players that you're looking for. Yeah, only. One, you're looking at, do you have a decent goalkeeper? Is Do you have a rock at centre-back that could improve the other, the defence around him? Yeah. Do you have that one midfielder that could make a difference in a game, whether it's defensive midfielder or his creative presence. And do you have a striker that can get double-digit goals? Yep. Look at boss um, Bournemouth. Neto is he's, he's a decent keeper. I'll give him that. But I'm struggling to name any centre-back they have that's going to be a rock yeah. for the rest of that defence to build around. I don't know who that main striker is. I I can't tell you who that main striker is. Well, I think they're looking at Solanke. I think they're hoping that Solanke will come through further forward and be a player. And I agree with you. I think for Bournemouth, there is there isn't much they can do, really. It's a very interesting thing. The Premiership, in essence, the Premier League is like three divisions. Yeah which is where the problem starts. There's the guys at the top who we know. There's the top six who are basically fighting for the fighting to win it. Okay. In my head, at the top of that six, there's Liverpool and there's Manchester City. They're the two teams who can win it. Underneath them is four of the clubs who I'm going to call the pretenders, which are the Arsenal's, the Man United's, Tottenham. And you know, Chelsea. And Chelsea. They're the pretenders. Okay. So there's six clubs that can win it. There is a middle league where you know these are teams are fighting basically to stay in the premiership. And that's the rest. And there's a chunk of teams in there. The Leeds, who've been there basically one or two years, have identified the core concepts. Good keeper, good central defender, good defensive mid player. And a player can score you between eight and ten goals, and a couple of midfield players that can chip in, and that's where you got the historically been the Leicester's, the Leeds, uh, Aston Villa types. Really, you can play in that, and then you've got the, what I'm going to call the four or five clubs at the bottom, who are basically trying to score enough points so they're not relegated, and that's it. That's the way the Premiership works. So when we come to look at the transfer window, in one sense, you have to look upon it in each category. So if you were to ask me who were the winners in the, pre- in the top category, I would say Man City, because they've got Haaland, who completes them, because the one thing they lacked was a centre-forward. He's come and done it. Okay? So if you, that's what I would say. Who would, who would I say has been the, the, the team with the biggest weakness in that, the losers in that top league? 
I would say, actually, Chelsea. Because to go and get Pierre Bangang is, is, is a retrograde step. They, they're going with a player who may or may... He's very, pers- very personal and orientated. He's very selfish, given what was going on back at his Arsenal days. I don't think he's the player. I think Tottenham's had a good... We, Tottenham's gone off and bought good players. I think Perisic is a really good player. Romario's a good player. I think Arsenal have done it, as uh, much as I hate to say it. I think Gabriel Jesus <laughs> from the players that is a great player. You know, so in that top league, yeah. I can then say to you, you know, I can give you who I think's won it and who's lost it. In the middle sphere, I think Leicester are going to Leicester have performed so badly that potentially they're going to go down, so so badly they can move into the bottom sphere, and in the bottom sphere, I think I think to me, Notts Forest are going to go down. That's how I look at it. So I, I, I split it into three leagues within the Premiership, and that's how I view them. That's interesting. I understand where you're coming from. I think I agree with what you're saying. Who would you say would be in the relegation running or be fighting to avoid relegation come the end of season? Bournemouth, Notts Forest, uh, and another. Leicester could be there. I'm hoping they won't be, but it depends what they do. But I think it's a another. So I have two. I have two distinct teams who will be in the bottom two. Yeah, yeah. I I would throw in Leeds are going to drop. They can't keep scoring the, at the rate they are at this moment in time. Only teams that have worse records are Bournemouth, Leicester, and Nottingham Forest. I think they will drop down the table. Um, I agree with you about Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth. I also look at Wolves and their inability to score. They are going to be struggling in the latter parts of the season. Mm. That's probably it, to be honest. I think a lot of the other teams look good where they are right now. Although Southampton, they don't really have a striker that no, I agree. Instills fear that would instill fear in other defenses, and that could be a problem for them. I agree with you. I, th- I think the yeah, I I understand what you're saying because if I look, I mean Leeds for well, having sold Rafini to was it Barcelona, and yeah. and Kevin Phillips to Man City, who were two key players. Mm-hmm. You know, based of based on our arguments of this structure mm-hmm. of a, a good goalkeeper, good centre half good midfield player and a good striker. They lost two of the four. I agree with you completely. Yeah. And because of that, I think they, they could struggle. But I also think but what's they have another good striker. Uh, I know he was injured partly the last season. The guy who, got, who was at Middlesbrough from Chelsea. Um, he played for England. Patrick Bamford. Bamford. I like Bamford. I think Bamford's underrated. You know, I think, I think he's going to yeah. score goals. I think Bamford will score United 10 goals, which will mean that they could stay up. I like him. Whereas I look at somebody like Bournemouth, Solanke, I don't rate. Um, Notts Forest. Reed? Who was there, Notts Forest? Those two guys, they, nah, nah. To be honest, they've bought so many, we'll probably have to go through all of them. Absolutely. 
I've got no idea who Mark Storis are playing with. They, I don't even know if they've, I don't even know if they've got a plan of the style. I always, to me, not Forest of almost like uh, a bit. You know, clearly, we, we can talk about this, but I'm saying here. But to me, they've spent so much money, so much money. It's almost like it's they're clearing cash <laughs> to get money out of it into Europe. <laughs> it's like I don't. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like a tax dodge. I'm thinking, why have they bought so many players? This complete lack of faith in the players who brought them up is is astonishing to me. You know, it's just like, do you not think any of the people you bought were any good? Any of the people who, who got you into the premiership are, are any good? It's like, no, they've just got... <laughs> it's just astonishing. What they've done at Leicester's... I mean, what they've done at Knott's Forest is, is beyond me. I have to be honest. It's... Uh, mm. Yeah, you know, power to their elbow. I mean, you know, clearly they've got management are prepared to spend money. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's strange one. It's a strange one. Too many players. But that makes no sense for the team, the continuity. To me, Newcastle are a team to respect. I think in two or three years, the way the way that Newcastle are doing it, building it slowly, because they've got the fu- they've got the funding and they're not rushing. They're getting players who can build the value of who they are, create the culture, and therefore step up every single time. I like, I like Knott's Forest. I really, I'm sorry, I like Newcastle. I like the way they're, they're going about their business. Very good. Sensible approach. Okay. Yeah. So who do you think will be signing off summer? Easy. The... There, there is no doubt about it. He plays for Man City. He's a number nine. There is nobody. He's already scored what nine? He's already scored ten goals in what five, four games, five games? Six, six, six games, games. Yeah. Harlem, easy. It's not even. It's not even close. Not even close. You got any? You got any alternatives? I, I can't even. I like the look of a of a soccer at Newcastle. But he's only played one game. I mean, I could have said Kulisevich at Tottenham, but he got signed last year. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, nah. Rick Carlson for, for Tottenham is going to be a great player. I love the attitude he brings into the Tottenham team. He brings an attitude which, a hardness and aggression, which is good. And if he gets enough games, he, he could be that player. But no, nah, it's Inga Haaland. Inga Haaland by a long lot of there's nobody, nobody even going to get close. Nobody going to get close. I'll tell you what I wrote down. What did you write down? Gabriel Jesus looks good. But Haaland. That's, yeah. that's all I've got for it. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's it's an not, easy one. It's not even close. I tell you what, right? I can tell you now, by the time we played 20 games into the Premiership, Haaland would have scored more than 20 goals. He might break the record for most goals in a season. Yeah, I. It's honestly Possible. looking like it. What was interesting? I don't. Know if, did I don't know if you were looking at some of the Man City games. I was looking at Phil Holden, Phil Holden, and there was a couple of games in the first two or three games of the season. He was looking. He got clear, and he was looking to take the shot. And Haaland was there just to roll the ball to, and I noticed in yesterday's game. He changed, so therefore he's looking. He was looking to rather than to take the shot, 
He was looking to roll the ball across to the centre because he now knew there was a forward in there for the tap-in. And I think once some of the Man City players like Foden start to realise that you don't have to take the shot, you can roll the ball across and he will be there in a six-yard box to tap it in. You know, they are Man City potentially will score a lot of goals. You know, it means they will change the way they play because historically they, they've not played to a pyramid format with a, a top striker playing at the front. They knock it across and then yeah. people coming from my positions to knock them in. But all of a sudden they've now got a point of the pyramid. And if they start recognizing how to use that, Harley will score, he will score 40 goals this season. I'm with you. You know, <laughs> I think we can have a conversation about how many goals he will score. And if you said to me, Uncle Leslie, he will score more than 30, I would say, you're right. So, <laughs> I, can't, I cannot see him scoring in less than 30. And he's, he's on, mm-hmm. is it nine or 10 already? Going back to summer transfer window. Yeah. Who do you think is the steal of this summer? So in terms of value and how much was paid for them, who is the steal of this summer? I I think I, Isaac from Newcastle is the player that I would put would be potentially my steal of the summer. I really like that. Okay. I mean, if you were to say anybody else, I would say I think sadly I'm going to look at Gabriel Jesus. I think I really loved him as a player. I think he was a great player. And I think he could be the... He would be my second option. He'd be my number two. I am going to go for Ericsson. Christian Ericsson. Yeah! Because, you know, on a free transfer... What? Man of the match against Southampton. Man of the match again today against Arsenal. That's a free transfer, by the way. Think about the value you're getting. This is a guy who helps us control, keep possession. I really, honestly, I'm looking at, this is steal of the summer. For zero pounds paid in transfer fees, Uncle Leslie, Ericsson is a steal. He's a steal. And you know, I do, I love my budget signings because you know who's number two? Who's number two? Taro Malasia, a new left back. Call me crazy, but this guy has the makings to be something special. I like the look of him, actually. The physicality of the game of the Premier League, he will catch up to it. But what he's shown already is he's going to be special. He has that it's factor to him. He hustles hard. He plays hard. Okay. I think going forward... I would like to see a bit more from him on the attacking side of football. But for now, I like what I'm seeing. 14, 15 million pounds. That's a good signing. A defender should defend. That to me is the key. I think I agree with you. Yeah. I think too many football teams buy the defenders who can't defend. I mean, historically, Tottenham have done that with our right backs. Yeah, we, we tend to buy players who can't defend. But they're great going forward, and then they end up the playing. We have to move into a three-five-two scenario. Uh, yeah, I, he looks like a fullback who can be. But I noticed both your selections so far are new. Uh, some team called Manchester players. Are you, are you anybody else from outside of Manchester? Outside of Manchester, uh, I think. How much did City get Haaland for? Fifty-five, fifty-six. 
think in today's transfer market, that is a steal. Especially for for what he does, how many goals he scores. That's kind of a steal. So I mean I, I Yeah, okay. I, I I'd say the same. Haaland is is the <laughs> There's no doubt Haaland is the player. You know, he, the Premiership was made for Haaland. He's going to score a lot of goals. I can understand Ericsson being the bargain player of the year. I can understand that. But is he a steal? I mean, he's a quality player. You know, and I think, have you, have you stolen him from... Yeah, maybe, okay. He's a steal as well because he, Brentford wanted to keep him and therefore you guys have stolen him away. He wants to go and play for United because of the name. Okay. He's a steal. I agree with that. Um, but I think the bargain player of the, su- of the summer, Haaland. I agree. Because if you, if you pay $200 million for Haaland, I don't know what he's getting paid on a weekly basis. I'm sure it's a lot of money. He's worth every penny. Yeah. Agreed. I have to say, if you ask me the question, which team have I been most impressed by over the first four or five games of the season, United have been that team. Because the first two games were despicable, and the last three have been superb. Hmm. Yeah. They've shown the biggest turnaround, I think, of anybody in the Premiership. In my mind, in terms of improvement, they're number one. I, I really like Newcastle. Newcastle, I, I know they lost Liverpool, but I like the way they play. Very good-looking football. Very good-looking football. Yeah, that loss to Liverpool was... Um, Unlucky. Contentious, to say the least. Absolutely. Unlucky. They were... Yeah. I mean, that goal that got disallowed by Izzard when he took it... You know, he, he was offside. But, man, he scored that great... That was a good goal to score. Yeah. You know, he took it down, beat two players... Good goal. You know, Neil, to yeah. me, this, some of this offside stuff is ridiculous. I, I have to say, the rule, we, we're taking this, the, the beauty of football is it's a game of beauty, not a game of, you know, where we're now down to, he's, he's, off, he's offside by half an inch, which is, I find ludicrous. We're, we're making it too much by measurement. You know, I think if if two players are level, as far as I'm concerned, you know, and if it's, and it's got to be by your feet, you you're not unless your feet are in front of some players, then you're offside. If your knees are in front of a player, you're not offside. It's just a nonsense. Some of the goals have been disallowed and ridiculous the way the football's gone right now. You, the only way you should ever be totally offside is by your feet. This weekend was. It was a disaster for VAR. Ah. Um, did you see the one that was disallowed today? Brighton, Leicester. That no, was goal of... Oh, you need to watch it. That was a goal of ah. season contender from McAllister. And it right. was disallowed on some stupid call. Some stupid call, man. It's getting ridiculous. Honestly. People yeah. say VAR, but I'll say it again. VAR isn't the problem. The problem is, and has been for quite a while, the standard of refereeing in the league. Absolutely. This is the one league 
where the referees are not allowed to come out and say why they made the decision. And mm. it takes away any accountability from them. In Spain, in France, all of them, the referees are allowed to say, this is what my thinking was behind this decision. This is what happened. Yeah. ETC. Here, you could, it, player manager criticizes referee. It's an immediate fine. And then there's nothing. It seems like quality isn't going anywhere but down. And that's the problem. It's the people running this thing. When you have Mike Dean, who was demoted how many years ago to championship slash league one football, he's already back as one of the lead Premier League guys. That's a disgrace. That is honestly a shambles. And it speaks, it says a lot about where the quality of refereeing in English football is. Agreed. I mean, we now have, there's a fear factor. Referees have a fear factor that they don't, they're not prepared to, they, because of what Mike Dean and, and whoever runs the league, the referees now, they're not prepared to stand up and be strong. And therefore, they become more and more cowed by what's being spit was taking place. I agree with you completely. And, the, and it, and it's too, it's just nonsense. It really is a nonsense which takes place in football. Did you see the Coutinho goal? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, was... what, what, why was that disallowed against Man City? Why was well, it that was disallowed because the whistle had gone by the time Coutinho shot. And you think back to it and you're like, why are you blowing the whistle already? Just let the play go on and then go to VAR. Yeah, but what, why, why did they raise the flag? for? The play was not offside. The guy already—he laid the ball back. I looked at—I looked at the game and I thought to myself, "Why? What's going on?" Okay, the players are sort of stopped because they say, "Okay, maybe the defender might have put a tackle in," but no, that was a crackerjack goal. Crackerjack goal. It was. You know, it's like and Man City would have lost. So it'd been fantastic. You know. Exactly. But hey. But you Jamaicans scored another goal, wonderful goal. Your mother would have been pleased. Leon Bailey for Villa. <laughs> yeah. You Jamaican playful scored a goal. Yeah. Yeah, but it was well, like... Everywhere, it, man. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. It's just crazy. It's just crazy <laughs> the number of decisions that are made. Some of, the, I mean, some of them are good, and some, but a lot of them, you think, yeah... I'm with you. The referee should just put his flag down and then waited. If the goal had been scored, then you could discuss that with VAR. Quite a bit of them, quite a few of them are vital as well. Like the Coutinho one would have been a winner. The one, the West Ham Chelsea game, that would have been an equaliser and last minute. It's all. Frankly, I don't even know where to go with it. It's just rubbish. Rubbish. It's just that I agree with you. It's that when, ref, when referees, because of the problem, referees are no longer able to referee the games. That's where the, the, the core of it is. That's where it starts. Referees should be allowed to make their own decisions on the pitch and then refer to VAR after. That's it. Therefore, the game yeah. should always be played until the end of that decision where the referee makes makes the call. Hence, for example, in the Katina situation, the, no flag should have gone up. He could have done whatever he did. 
played the goal, and then people said, ah, and then people could have complained about it and said, ah, right, let's have a quick check to see if it's offside or whatever it is, and then that would have, that would in the end of the decision. They're, but they're too quick to interfere into decisions on the pitch, which is which leads to another problem with football. How in a ninety-minute game, how much football is actually played? Hmm. I think you'll probably find at uh, ninety minutes. You probably, if you're lucky, you'll get 40, 50 minutes of, of actual action. And that's another problem as well. Because you never play enough extra time, and especially at the end of the first half. You never get more than two minutes, three minutes, top whack. You know, they never play at too much extra time at the end of the first half. So therefore, so much time and the ball's off the, off the pitch. So yeah, you as a fan, we're being devalued. We're paying a lot of money for watching for a ball being people standing on the sideline trying to throw the ball in. Crazy, crazy nonsense. And I don't think the Premiership and UEFA and all the various leagues around the world are doing enough to ensure we're getting more football being played on the pitch. I'm simply saying that we need to find a way to speed up the game. Yeah. But as always, always good to talk. Yeah, I like. I enjoy, listen, you know me. I like talking about sports, and you do too. It's a good thing. Ah, oh, it is. It is. And we're fans. I think the key being, as fans, it's just it's about us expressing, exploring our views. And I'm exactly. sure, it, as you, and hopefully, other people will have the chance to sort of think. Yeah, we. You guys talk some sense, or maybe you guys talking rubbish, but. It's a personal opinion based upon what we listen to and we find out. So, and we're happy to share that view with other people. Yeah. That becomes the key. All right. I will speak to you next time. Okay. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Take care.